want to start out this episode before we get into all the things we need to talk about by just redeeming myself a little bit. Oh, redemption arc. Yes, we love a redemption arc. Um, Last week I talked about how I failed at making cookies, and after we finished recording, we failed another batch of cookies. And finally, after four (laughs) failed batches of cookies in two days, we realized the oven isn't working appropriately. It's, It's broken. Did you really fail, though? Because don't you only fail when you stop trying and you kept trying even though the (laughs) oven was clearly not going to cooperate the thing (laughs) i i I meant because it took me a little bit to realize the oven was the issue basically the cookies were melting the oven's too hot it's melting everything too quickly and i made shortbread that was the first thing i made Mm -hmm. and i used uh carry gold butter Instead of just regular oh, butter. yes. Yeah, here's the thing that I learned. Not the best for baking because it's a European-style butter and it's got a lot more fat in it. Oh. But I think that might have helped my shortbread because the extra butter melted out. I don't really know. The shortbread is still good. It's just overcooked. It It is a little – not burnt, but it's just overcooked. Crunchy. Yeah. Listen, I am 100% the person that watches Great British Bake Off and just judges, judges as if I have ever understood any of it. Absolutely not. Oh, I I kept thinking of Great British Bake Off because the next thing I made was meringues. I was Mm -hmm. like, I got to get the stiff peaks. Of course. Mm -hmm. I, I know what all the terms are. Could I perform any of those acts? Absolutely not. Will I ever forgive great british bake-off for what they did this season never i am so hot under the collar no wait that's a good thing i am so in filled with rage about what happened i'm not caught up so don't spoil it oh then oh oh okay no listeners don't spoil it rowan don't spoil it i will catch up and report back Will you report back, Tracy? Because this is our last episode of the season. Hi, I'm Rowan Hall. It is. And I'm Tracy Harrison. And this is Willing and Fable, the podcast that brings you original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. Each week, we research a story, the history all that good, good mythology, and then we write an original story just for you, for your tiny little ear holes. So if you'd like to support our weekly research papers and creative writing projects, a quick and free thing you can do is leave us a review wherever you listen. That sounded like, Mom, if you want to support all my homework. Mom, can can you put my podcast on your fridge? Actually, Mom, can you put my podcast on the fridge? Oh... Yeah, I don't think my parents... Are you ready for this? I don't think my parents' fridge is magnetic. Same. No, fridges aren't magnetic anymore. I say having a magnetic fridge. Never mind. My fridge is magnetic. But my parents, it's the side. So they'll put stuff on the side. Yeah, yeah. But the side of the fridge just doesn't have the same joie de vivre. Not the same energy. No. Mom, put us on the fridge, darn it. <laughs> All you moms out there, please put us on your fridge. Oh my god. If someone is a mom, not our moms, just a mom, Mm -hmm. will you please put us on your fridge and take a picture? (laughs) Circling back to other ways you can support the pod that aren't on your fridge, you could become a patron at patreon.com. 
you could check out our merch at Willing and Fable. Or you can paint your nails whatever your favorite color is, put on your nicest outfit, and take a selfie for the world to see. Because you're a beautiful human being inside and out, and the world deserves to see it too. Ooh. I like Thank you. I feel beautiful inside and out. I'm glad. That's the, the energy I want for you today. Oh, and hey, the holidays are just around the corner. And for certain holidays, they are just around the corner. Yes. Have you gotten all your presents for your nerdy friends, your cool friends, your confused family? <laughs> That's everyone I know. <laughs> Would they like dice trays or cool merch or sword pendants? If they'll accept a belated present, we have the store for you. If they're going to be into a gift card, we still have the store for you. Mm-hmm. There may or may not be a few people in my life getting gifts from Greenleaf Geek. Um, there are absolutely more than more than one person in my life getting a gift from Greenleaf Geek, so I won't say who it is yet because this episode is airing before I'll be giving it to them. But I am so excited. So if you want to get the nerds and cool people and confused people in your life a gift from Greenleaf Geek, you can visit Greenleaf Geek on Twitter and Instagram. And when you go to her website, greenleafgeek.com, don't forget to use our coupon code FABLE. That's F-A-B-L-E for 10% off your order. Some restrictions apply. Okay, real quick. I know you said you wouldn't give it away, but for Christmas, did you get me the We Get It Your Goth Dice? <laughs> that was a not-so-subtle hint. Um, okay. I, I have wants. I have needs. Okay. I'm saying nothing. Because I may or may not definitely, definitely did not um, also get you uh, a present from Green <laughs> don't even try to hide stuff from you i just have to outright tell you because are you gonna tell them about our both buying a gift from the same place at the same time tell the story it was so good all right tracy buy wait first of all to start this off tracy and i buy each other presents a lot mm -hmm. i love shopping for you oh yeah same for you so, I, I mean, everyone knows I love the Darksome Craft Market. It's an online craft show. Um, I mean, it used to be in person, and it is sometimes in person. But you can also shop online to all these local indie artists. And I just found an artist I really liked, and I sent it to Rowan and Kaylee. And we were talking about the pieces that we really liked. And I mentioned that because they were supporting uh, bat conservations, that I was going to buy from them because I wanted to help the bats and get cool art. And Rowan texted me furious saying, don't buy stuff from a place that I'm looking to buy things for you from. And I said, no. maybe it's not for me. And, well, no, the text was, Tracy, stop buying yourself things during the holiday season because I had already pushed order. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you had ordered, there would be two and there would be nothing we could do about it. <laughs> Listen, maybe it wasn't for me. Maybe I was strategically trying to figure out what you liked from that store. Oh my god. It we can't even be subtle anymore. No. Us sending each other links to suss out if what we think <laughs> is a good gift is a good gift. It's ridiculous. Yes. And for anyone who wants to know what shop Tracy and I were shopping at for each other, the user is called Albino Jackrabbit on Etsy. All of it. All of it is chef's kiss. Amazing. It's so good. So check out Albino Jackrabbit on Etsy. Rowan and I will be 
receiving gifts from that shop from each other. So many, so many gifts. Um, not to totally bring down the mood, Mm -hmm. but we were talking about it last night, so I think we have to talk about it right now. Unfortunately, last night we all found out that Anne Rice passed away. Yes. It's, uh, as of recording this, it'll have been about a week or so past, but we still felt we needed to talk about it. So in order to honor an incredible female storyteller, we wanted to take a few snippets from an article written by Elion Peltier for the New York Times. Anne Rice, the gothic novelist best known for her best-selling book, Interview with the Vampire, died on Saturday. She was 80 years old. Born in New Orleans on October 4, 1941, Ms. Rice was most widely known for the novel series The Vampire Chronicles, the first of which was Interview with a Vampire, published in 1976. It was adapted into a movie starring Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Kirsten Dunst, and Antonio Banderas. Over the next five decades, Ms. Rice would write more than 30 books, more than a dozen of which are part of the Vampire series. Ms. Rice was married to the poet Stan Rice, who died in 2002. They had two children, Michelle, who died of leukemia at five, and Christopher Rice, also an author. She regularly interacted with her readers on her Facebook page, which has more than a million followers, and her book signings were eccentric shows attracting dancers and fans in costume. Ms. Rice will be interred in a private ceremony at the family mausoleum in New Orleans. Mr. Rice said in the statement, Next year, quote, a public celebration of her life will take place in New Orleans. We owe such a debt to Anne Rice for creating the world of vampires that Mm -hmm. I grew up in, frankly, just understanding as the definitive kind of vampire lore. It was many people's first introduction into vampire lore, and it's a cultural icon. I mean, you talk to anyone, and they've heard of or seen or read the interview with the vampire. And while I know that books and movie adaptations are very different, the movie interview with a vampire. Amazing. I could watch it any time, any day. And get the same amount of inspiration and kind of joy Yes. And Anne Rice inspired so many people that inspired me. So it's not just her directly. There's this trickle-down effect of her legacy that's that's really exciting. And though I think that this is very sad news, it is certainly not the end of her influence. No. And you said it to me off podcast when we were talking about this, that she's kind of the mother of vampires. And I think that's never going to change. Yeah. So we just wanted to take a minute to thank Anne Rice. Mm-hmm. And honor her legacy as two women who also write a lot of stories. And that's pretty in keeping with how we handle the holiday season. We we love uh, a little bit of melancholy. We love a little bit of ghosts in our Christmas cheer, as it were. Yes. Bringing it up, bringing it down. That's our that's our mo. And this is our last episode of the year. So. Tracy, what what are you offering us for this <laughs> holiday special? I am going to be talking about Snegorochka. Oh, goodness me. Yeah. I could 
never have pronounced that word. I may be pronouncing it extremely wrong. I couldn't find a lot of, I, I, really, any videos on it. I experienced the same thing with my story. Yeah. So before we get into it today, if you are listening with young children with you, we are going to be talking about the big man himself, Mr. Santa Claus. And if that is something you would like to scoot the kids out of the room before we chat about, now is your warning. This is, per our humble recommendation, an adults-only episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, this is a stalling for you to gently scoot. And now, I'm going to be talking about Snegorochka. All right. Or the Snow Maiden. Mm. Yeah, I didn't know about her, and um, it's just another example of me growing up in a very Americanized place, because she's extremely popular in Eastern European countries. In the 19th century in Russia, a new folkloric character came onto the scene. She's a young girl made of snow who came to life, and she has taken hold in Russia ever since. Now, this character changes based on the country that she's in, and as with many stories, hers changes based on the time and the place in which it's told. I'm going to be focusing on a few of the classic Russian tales, because she seems to be extremely popular in Russia. Okay. And she's fairly new by mythological standards. She is fairly new by mythological... She is 1800s. That is when she first came onto the scene. But she is... To this day, still a very popular figure around Christmas and actually specifically New Year's. That makes me so happy because I think it's easy to forget that mythology is happening all around us. It is being recorded in real time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she came from... We'll get into it. There are a few versions of this story. The first is about a girl made of snow named Snegurka. Snegorochka being kind of a, a diminutive, a, it's like little snow maiden. This story was published in 1869 by Alexander Afanasyev in the second volume of his work, The Poetic Outlook on Nature by the Slavs, where he also mentions the German analog Schnitzkind, or snow child. In this version of the story, a childless Russian peasant couple named Ivan and Maria make a snow doll, and it comes to life. This version was later included by Louis Lager in Contes Populaires Slavas in 1882. In this story, Snegurka grows up quickly into a human child, and one day a group of girls invite her out for a walk in the woods. They play around, and after which they make a small fire and take turns leaping over it. <gasps> yep. In some variants... This is on St. John's Day and a St. John's Day tradition. When Snegurka's turn comes, she starts to jump, but only gets halfway before evaporating into a small cloud. Andrew Lang includes this version as the story Snowflake in the Pink Fairy Book, written in 1897. So all of these, 1869, 1897, 1882, people kind of latch onto the idea of a snow child, a, a couple who so desperately wants a child, they make one out of snow and are granted with the miracle of her turning into a human girl. Oh my gosh, jumping over a fire and melting child is exactly my speed for the holidays. <laughs> I know. I thought of you with this one. It has, um, I thought of your episode last year on Jack Frost. I still get 
some grief about that story from people. Um, I love, I love a sad, spooky winter child. Oh, that's so good. Also, the jumping over a fire thing, that is a very distinctly non-Christian yeah. uh, mm-hmm. ritual. Yes. So there's another version of this story. In this one, she's the daughter of Spring the Beauty or Spring Mother and a character named Dead Moros, who is a version of Father Christmas, and she yearns for the companionship of mortal humans. She grows to like a shepherd named Lel, but her heart is unable to know love. Her mother takes pity on her and gives her the ability to fall in love, but as soon as she does, her heart warms and she melts away. Oh my god, yes! This is all the goodness of like a golem and Jack Frost, Tracy. (laughs) I knew you would really like this story. I kept it all secret from you. Oh, the thing you want being your your melancholic downfall. Yes. And I wonder if her mother knew that she would melt when she fell in love and kind of a mother's love giving her daughter the chance to experience the world. You know, like you have to let your children make their own mistakes, even if it's going to hurt them and you know it will. You kept this from me for weeks. Yes, You're I so did. good. <laughs> So I mentioned Dead Moroz, which is spelled D-E-D-M-O-R-O-Z. In this version of the story, that's her father, which uh, he's similar to Father Christmas. And the tradition of Dead Moroz is mostly spread in um, Eastern European countries, and it's an important part of Russian culture. However, at the beginning of the Soviet era, communist authorities banned Dead Moroz. Eventually, he came back into popularity the literal translation of his name being Grandpa Frost, which means he is seen around the holidays, Christmas through New Year's. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, he's often accompanied by a character known as his granddaughter, Snegorochka, and she is the same character we talked about before. So there's kind of three versions of her. The girl who jumped over a fire and evaporated, the daughter of dead Moros, and the goddess of spring who fell in love and melted away. And the version that people see today, walking around there, you'll see people dressed in costumes of Snegorochka as the granddaughter of basically the character of Grandpa Frost. So there'll be holiday parades and events. I'll have, I have a picture for you later. People will dress up the same way we see people who dress up as Santa Claus. People will dress up as Snegorochka and Dead Moros and walk around together. That's cool. Mm-hmm. In the late Russian Empire, Snegorochka became a part of Christmas celebrations in the form of figurines to decorate trees. Like I said earlier, she was banned for a long time, but in 1991, she and Dead Moros were reinstated and brought back into popular culture. But even though they were banned for a long time, starting in 1935, Dead Moros and Snegorochka were allowed to be part of New Year's Eve celebrations, even though they weren't allowed to be part of Christmas less religious connotations, I suppose. So that's how they became grandfather and granddaughter generally around the holidays, but really specifically a New Year celebration where they run around and talk to children and give out gifts and bring joy and merriment to everyone. Okay. This is the idea being like, we can't have it for Christmas, but could we have it a little later, please? A little later, please? Yes. Yeah. Okay. She is 
pretty much always depicted as wearing long silver and blue robes and a furry cap or a snowflake-like crown. And she is a unique attribute of dead Moros, since similar characters in other cultures do not have a female companion. The idea being, like, we have Santa Claus and there's a Mrs. Claus, but there aren't very many versions of that. Right, and and you don't typically see someone dressed as Santa Claus with a Mrs. Claus walking around. These two are very often walking around together. So Dead Moros dresses in all red with a big white beard, but it's more robes and a cloak. And Snegorochka always has the silver robes and kind of jacket. And they're a pair. They are, you know, you it's like Santa and Rudolph. Like, you, you have these two together. They're peanut butter and jelly of Christmas is what you're trying to say. Yes. They're, pe- <laughs> they're the peanut butter and jelly of Christmas. I-, I think it came out of people celebrating her and being excited about her and needing to find a way to bring her into the celebrations. She just, the cultural miasma came together and much like the snow formed her, she became this cultural icon. Well done. Thank you. I like this picture. Can we talk about this yes, picture that please you do. pulled up? So it's of two people dressed in costume, like Tracy said, and they're standing in front of this intricately carved wooden porch, I would almost say. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. It is. Uh, And it's decorated with Christmas ornaments and evergreen boughs. And then the Dead Moros figure has the long white beard and long white hair. He's got... A hat with a tuft on it, but it is not like the stocking cap from the right. U.S. It's kind of a little more structured, a little smaller. And he's wearing a robe. Of, it is long and embroidered with this beautiful gold design. And the young girl standing next to him has blonde pigtails. And she also has a tight-fitted hat that has a little puff on top of it, but she's all in pastel blue with the white fur trim. Also in a robe, she's got kind of a little cape going on, which I love to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and the embroidery on these robes is just so beautiful. You can tell that when they move, it probably catches the light in a really intricate design. It looks like this design. From here, it almost has kind of a mix of a botanical feel and like a wind kind of snow feel. Oh, yeah. You can find every type of quality version of Snegorochka costume online. Everything from a cheap little flimsy robe to incredibly beautifully embroidered robes like this one. The thing that's interesting to me is if an American child was in the crowd of people that I imagine are viewing these two, it would not surprise me if the American child thought that Snegorochka was Elsa. Oh, yes. From Disney's Frozen. Yes, absolutely. She looks like the combo of Elsa and Anna with the pigtails and Mm -hmm. the blue. The light blue and the cape and the kind of magical embroidery. It's just kind of cool to see... Well, because they come from similar areas of the world. The Frozen North, Frozen is based on other stories. So it's cool to see that cultural diffusion all the way down to Disney. Yeah. (laughs) From what I was reading, Snegorotka is pretty much always depicted as blonde with blue eyes. 
That does not surprise me considering the number of fair, skin-denied, and hair people in that area of the world. Yes. <laughs> so according to ThoughtCo, the Russian fairy tale about Snegorotchka is different from a fairy tale in which a young girl comes in contact with Morotsko, an old man who is more analogous to Old Man Winter than to Santa Claus. To English speakers, however, the distinction can be confusing because Morotsko's name is derived from the Russian word for frost, Moros. In translations, he is sometimes referred to as Grandfather Frost or Jack Frost, which does little to distinguish him from dead Moros, whose name is most commonly translated as Grandfather Frost or Father Frost. Morotsko is the story of a girl who is sent out into the cold by her stepmother. The girl gets a visit from Old Man Winter, who bestows upon her warm furs and other gifts. In tales about snow maidens and grandfatherly personifications of frost, it's possible to detect the Russian affinity for winter, the season which blankets many parts of Russia more completely and for a longer period of time than in any other parts of Europe. Folk art illustrated with these fairy tales make souvenirs that are uniquely Russian, and film and theater adaptations of these stories will both entertain and educate the viewer about this aspect of Russian culture. I can't believe that it took me this long to make the connection, but Morozko mm -hmm. reminds me of Ilya Morzova from the Grishaverse. Yes, Lee Bardugo was extremely inspired by Russian culture. Oh, of course, it's all over the books. Mm -hmm. But the second you said it, my my brain started tickling, and I was like, "Get there, get yes. there." <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, and it makes sense that in the Grishaverse, specifically the stag in the snow is highlighted when you're using a name like Morosko mm -hmm. as your inspiration. That's very cool. Yes. And that is a – so there's – what that quote is really getting across is that there's two different stories about grandfatherly figures with young ladies that are very popular. One is a girl sent out into the cold by her stepmother and the grandfather figure takes care of her. The other one is this popular culture version of Dead Morose and Snegorochka, who are grandfather and granddaughter coming around to bring gifts to children. What is up with so much of the world deciding stepmothers in particular are evil? I know, I know. I like that there's a trend now of people saying bonus mother instead of stepmother. That's really cute. Mm -hmm. I never have heard that. Yeah, yeah, I've heard some people say that. It's, you know, in, in modern times, it's one of those things where, like, stepdads that are, are good or even okay get so much credit. And uh, I wonder if part of that is tied into just these these mythological stepmothers are just... They've had a bad rap for centuries. Admittedly, in every story, they're being pretty crummy. <laughs> yes, it's it's such a stereotype now, the evil stepmother. It's a, sh a shorthand for so many things. I also really like that in this story, in the iteration uh, with Snegorochka, that there is a young woman who is, she's not fully a child and not fully an adult, a young woman who has a positive interaction with an older man that is mm -hmm. not in any way creepy. Like, that is reinforcing such a good, normal, healthy yes. part of a society. 
Yes, it's just a happy, healthy, grandfather-granddaughter relationship. It's great. <laughs> so the story that I wrote for this week, um, I went back to more of the original version of Snigorotchka, and I combined a couple of different of those versions, the ones that you got very excited about. Are you going to melt her? I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yes! <laughs> so I am going to tell you the story that I wrote, which is my version of the Snegorochka myth. On a cold winter day, when the snow covered the ground and cast the world in a shiny white glow, an old man went out into the forest to chop wood. He sold this wooden town and thus made a meager but sufficient living for himself and his wife. They lived a simple life, but it was a happy one, and they rarely wanted for much. That is, except for one thing. The couple desperately wanted a child. However, they were well past the age of being able to give birth to a child of their own, and thus resigned themselves to the fact that their family of two would remain that way forever. One day, when the old man went out into the forest to chop wood, his wife decided to accompany him. It was a snowy morning, and the two made their way through the trees and chatted as they walked. They wondered, not for the first time, who would take care of them in their old age. Trying to distract her husband from the morose thoughts, the wife began to throw snowballs at him. The two laughed and played in the snow as though they were children again. Eventually, they made a figure out of snow, a snow maiden, and declared that they wished they had been blessed with a child so sweet and so lovely. To their sudden shock and joy, the snow figure began to change. The icy snow turned to pale skin, and the rocks in her eyes began to shine like diamonds in the sun. The crude crown they'd placed upon her head turned to real stone and metal, and a cape flowed off her shoulders, and beautiful embroidered boots covered her feet. What was once a snowy figure of a young woman was suddenly a human girl standing before them. She looked around for a moment, blinking and confused, before she took in the man and woman standing before her. Suddenly a wide grin broke out across her face and she rushed forward to embrace the two, declaring them to be her mama and papa. Tears filled the couple's eyes as they hugged her back, shocked by the warmth of her in their arms. The three held each other closely and whispered their love and their joy together in the woods. As they left, the trees seemed to wave them goodbye, the wind rustling to wish Snegorochka a safe and happy life. The old couple brought Snegorochka to their home, their little wooden hut in the forest, and she began her life with them, helping them around the house and doing chores. She was always respectful, and she never contradicted them, and they could not praise her enough nor tire of gazing at her, for she was so kind and so beautiful, both inside and out. Soon, though, they began to realize that their kind and lovely daughter was too shy and too quiet, and the old woman began to worry that she might be lonely, 
though Snegorotchka insisted that she was happy with her small family. Snegorotchka had made no friends in the village and hadn't even attempted to talk to the other young men and women who lived there. That is, until the festival day. Finally unable to resist the temptation, Snegorotchka went out into the world. There she met many young people and found that she enjoyed them all as friends. However, she could not seem to find it in her heart to connect with them fully, despite her desire to fall in love. She knew that she loved her parents, and that she cared deeply for her friends, but she could not seem to figure out how to fall in love with another. She cried out one day in frustration and despair, and to her shock, her cries were answered. The goddess of spring appeared before her and took pity on the young maiden. She blessed the girl with the ability to give her heart to another and fall in love. Shortly after this experience, Snegorotchka met a shepherd named Lel. She found much joy in taking walks with the young man and getting to know him. As winter turned to spring, she found herself growing more and more infatuated with Lel. One day, as the spring sun began to warm the sky, Lel stood in front of Snegorotchka and sang her a love song. This warmed her heart and tears flowed out of her eyes as she realized she was finally, truly, in love with another. Then, slowly, her feet began to melt and she fell to the ground. Before she even reached the earth, she disappeared altogether, and a mist rose from where she once stood. Lel looked on in shock as wind whipped around him, whispering sweet words in the air as it drifted by. Snegorotchka was gone, but she would forever be remembered by the ones who loved her, and the ones she loved in return. Tracy, you are such a good person. <laughs> I knew you were going <laughs> to call out that I had to make it a little bit happier at the end. <laughs> you take mythological figures who are done dirty. They have hard lives. Things are sad. And you just give them the sweet little kiss of your storytelling and you take such good care of them. Don't like sad things. The world is hard enough. I am so glad you told that story. I, you had to know from the moment you introduced it that I would want it. And girl, you delivered. Thank you. Thank you. I combined a few different versions, um, mainly the version where she's a snow figure come to life with an old couple and the version where she's the daughter of spring and winter and yearns to fall in love. There's also a version on the RussianAmericanCompany.com that seems to combine the two as well that I found during my research. So needless to say, this is a story with many, 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 many iterations. I really like the way that you captured the parent's desire for a child, because I feel like that's a portion of the story that could get glossed over very quickly. But it's so fundamental to her personality when she's created. Like so much of what defines her comes from their original longing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and in some of the more original versions of this story, it is really emphasized, as it always is in fairy tales, that she was a very good, obedient daughter. They really hammered home how pretty she was. 
Like, that's, like, her big defining thing. Oh, I love that you made her beautiful inside and out. Thank you. I had to because things would talk about that she was – they would say that she was good and obedient and that she was beautiful. And those are her traits. You know, in so many fairy tales, it's – that's what they teach the young girls to be. Right. So I kind of wanted to twist that. Given more time, I'd love, love to revisit this story and play with it so much more. I would like to – dive into the parents and their yearning more. The idea of, like I mentioned earlier, knowing that it, you need to give your child the chance to try and fail things. I'd love to make it a little bit more queer. Maybe she falls in love with another lady. Aww. I, I just want to play with it more and play with the way that we use fairy tales now to decide what it means to be a good person and take this story into that place but i just i also needed for this i wanted to share here's what it traditionally is Mm -hmm. because i feel like you need to do that before you can then take a twist on things okay spicy pitch Mm -hmm. i'm about to shock no one okay so we know that beauty is is for young women in particular is always like a metaphor for goodness in Mm -hmm. fairy tales okay so we have parents who want a kid and that they they learn that when they wish their snow child becomes real it does so first they start out making the snow child out of like really icy crunchy snow Mm -hmm. not a very pretty child doesn't they don't like it because it's not as pretty so they sit the child by the fire and they're like come close to the fire child let me tell you a story and they melt the kid and then they try again and like the snow's a little less crunchy or it's icy and sparkly and it still doesn't work and they're like i'm gonna melt you because i don't like you and then we get our like fine little powdery snow virginal beautiful princess of Mm -hmm. goodness and she comes along and she's like, oh, but I'm so good and I can love. I'm going to melt myself. Oh, I was taking it a different direction of all of the quote unquote not as pretty ones are genuinely good hearted. Yes. And they come back and haunt them. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was thinking, then they make this beautiful one. And she's like, look at me. I'm the most beautiful child you've ever seen. And she's an evil little monster. Ooh, ooh, I love it. Could we get some revenge from the snow children where they melted so they turned to ice and then the parents slip and fall on the walk and break a hip? We're we're writing we're writing myths in the moment. We're yes ending this. I love it. There's like five stories in there and none of them are as wholesome as the one you just told. Oh no. no. <laughs> so like I've said, Snegorochka has become very popular even today. And I want to talk a little bit about some of the impacts that this story has had on the culture in Russia. Now, Rowan, you've heard of Tchaikovsky, I'm sure. Yes, of course. Oh, uh, the, the little little musical composer, just the little known guy. Oh, that indie artist. That indie artist, Tchaikovsky. Well, <laughs> Tchaikovsky and Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov wrote an opera based off of Russian playwright Alexander Ostrovsky's play about Snegorochka. That play was called The Snow Maiden, and it was first performed in 1882 and was revised in 1898, and that's the version that's still performed today. This is this grand opera based on a play, and I listened to it while researching. Really? I did. I did. And I know I'm biased because I actually, I very much enjoy classical music and opera, but I found it to be delightful. Oh, yeah, of course. 
And it tells the version of the story where Snegorochka wants to fall in love and melts from a warm heart. She is said to live deep in the winter forest. Yeah, uh-huh. But she has a modern residence that is a very real place you can visit. Added to the world tour! <laughs> yes! yes. <laughs> it's the Russian city of Veliki Ustug, and between 2003 and 2010, the post office in this city received approximately 2 million letters <gasps> from within Russia and from all over the world for Snegorochka and Dead Moros, because that is where grandfather and granddaughter are said to reside during the year. That is so cool. Isn't that great? Okay, the last fun fact I have to tell you is that in November 2009, for the first time, the Russian Federation offered competition to NORAD, which tracks Santa. Yes! With GLONASS, which tracks <laughs> dead Moros. <laughs> Which is Global Navigation Satellite System, or basically the Russian GPS. And it tracks Dedmoros on New Year's Eve, according to the Gregorian calendar, which is when he travels all around to bring gifts and delightful things to children. I We love the Santa tracker, so that is very cool. I had to save that for last. That was my last fun fact. But it was so cool. I mean, she's such a big popular cultural icon in Russia, and I just didn't know about her. I am overjoyed. I need to reveal to you that I'm a somewhat bad person. Um, okay. Every time you say the snow maiden, I imagine the story of the snow madam who, <laughs> rather than looking for love, mm -hmm. is uh, just just looking for some hot, spicy lovin'. And... Uh, you know, okay. maybe she's not melted because of her heart. She's melted because of other things. And I... I would imagine the snow maiden, she don't melt. She's too strong for that. Or sorry, the snow madam. <laughs> the snow madam's too strong to melt. She is practiced. I love her. I love a snow madam. I'm, I'm into that. I think that's great. <laughs> she is on the prowl and it is not for love. No. Oh, okay. We have so... Okay. Anyone, if you want to do any art of these things, any writing of these, please send it our way. We love it. It's such a good story. All of it. It's clearly inspiring so much, which is, is just like a sign of it being so extra good. Mm -hmm. But now it is your turn, Rowan. What have you presented this week? I think that I'm bringing a story that matches yours in the level of enthusiasm I have and hopefully will be able to give to you. Okay. Today, I am covering the Icelandic tales of Grilla, Lepaluthi, their 13 Yule lads, and their giant human-eating Yule cat. <laughs> I don't know why I would ever expect anything else. <laughs> so right off the bat, I want to, of course, apologize for my Icelandic pronunciations, but also thank the Icelandic National League of the United States because they actually had recommendations for how to say a few of our lead characters' names. Bless. There are a few examples of Americans saying the names differently mm -hmm. on the internet. Um, like Gryla versus Gorilla. Um, that's a big sticking point. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Icelandic National League of the United States, for all that you did to help me specifically 
any word mistakes are my own and any success that I have is entirely because of you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So when I saw that there was a holiday myth about a giant human eating mischievous black cat, I jumped on this topic so fast. I'm so excited. But before I jump into that, we're going to chat about Christmas in Iceland. Mm -hmm. As Guide to Iceland writes, quote, Christmas in Iceland lasts for 26 days, from the 11th of December until the 6th of January. And Iceland has 13 Santa Clauses or Yule Lads. Christmas season starts when the first Yule Lad comes to town, 13 days before Christmas Eve, and finishes when the last one leaves town on the 12th night. Okay. So there is much less of an opportunity for that last minute Christmas shopping Mm -hmm. when Icelandic families have to do so many different days of gift giving. And there is no one man like jolly old St. Nick show like we have here in the United States. There is a whole family of human eating trolls. Okay, let's get into this. Enter the Yule Lads or Christmas Lads. I love that they're called Lads. Can I just highlight that? It mad brings me lad, joy. Lad. The Mad Lads. I love them. You love the word Lad, and that was not lost on me <laughs> <laughs> when I was researching. It's actually very likely that you've seen illustrations of these 13 brothers. Um, artwork by Brian Pilkington has made its way all over the internet and somewhat defined the modern appearance of these figures, but it also occasionally gets incorrectly associated with just other mm. figures um, or nothing at all. The number of these lads actually ranges from 9 to 22. I heard one number saying actually 82. That's too many. That's too many Christmas lads. Yeah, so the number has been standardized to 13. Okay. (laughs) Since about the 17th century, they have each made their way down from their cold mountainous home one night after another to leave small presents for children and spread a bit of mischief. So thanks to the 20th century and media, um, people from around the world have been able to see and assimilate the kind of figures from our shared holidays. So around the 1930s, the lads transformed to look a bit more like the Santa Claus figure that you will recognize from a Hallmark card with the iconic red clothing, caps, and long white beards. Though they are trolls, to the American gaze, their current manifestation looks not unlike the stereotype of a garden gnome. Oh, okay. And while the 20th century has made everything charming and wrapped in a bow, originally the Yule Lads traveled down the mountain to steal children who cried too often or misbehaved. It is winter. It is cold. Everyone is stuck inside their tiny houses while it snows. What are we doing if not terrifying children to behaving? It is Christmas. That is the (laughs) true spirit of the holiday. (laughs) What is Christmas about if not terrifying children? (laughs) Originally, this gang of child-eating trolls were incredibly inhuman monsters with very scary 
appearances, and they just outright did murder. Okay. And Iceland has a long history of trolls. Like, that's just a big part of their culture, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, and like many manifestations of mythology, they share links with other troll stories, and they are distinctly different thanks to time and space. My favorite fact about these trolls is that in 1764, a regulation issued by the government said, quote, the foolish custom which has been practiced here and there about the country of scaring children with yuletide lads or ghosts shall be abolished. Wow. And the country at the time was ruled by Denmark. And the king of Denmark objected very much to these figures being used for discipline. Okay. All right. Now it's making more sense. I was like, why would they suddenly be against it? It's because a new king came in and said no. Right. Yeah. It's because of colonization. I'm willing to bet there's a little bit of spicy Christianity thrown in there. Always. Um, so that. It is hilarious to me, though, uh, looking at it now after things are, are somewhat remedied. Someone going, no, no, no scary Christmas trolls for you, friends. Christmas is a time for only fun and joy, no frightening. We say so because of the government. (laughs) (laughs) And did this government doctrine stop people from practicing their own cultures within their homes? No. Was it the beginning of the Yule Lads behaving with a bit more holly jolly kindness? Actually, yes. Okay. The current practice is for children to put a shoe by the window for the 13 Yule lads to fill with presents each night. If the children are naughty, they are likely to receive a potato. Okay, as someone who really loves potatoes. I know. (laughs) So much more useful than coal in 2021. Yes. But it reminds me of um, when we covered Krampus last year, how you would put a, he would put candy in your shoe. These stories have a lot of overlap with Krampus. Of course, you can imagine, think about where these stories are coming from in the world and how people have migrated through those areas. Absolutely. So I just want to give you a quick run through of the Yule Lads because they're fantastic. Okay. I'm going to use the English translations of their names, and we're going to go in order of their appearance each night, the first coming down on December 12th and the last appearing on December 24th. The first is Sheep Coat Claude, or Sheep Shagger. He's the oldest of the lads. He is first to come down because he is old and he needs the extra time to make it down the mountain. He either has creaky knees that you can hear or two peg legs, and he's known to harass the sheep. Okay. There's Gully Gawk. He's the biggest, the tallest, the strongest of the lads, truly a no-thought, head-empty figure. (laughs) Okay. He takes care of our Yule Cat that we're going to learn about. He feeds the Yule Cat so the cat doesn't eat children. That's clearly like a post-scary version of this. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and Gully Gawk tends to hide in barns and steal the froth from milk buckets, which we all know is the best part. I Right now, so far, extremely pro-Gully Gawk. I know. <laughs> then there's Stubby. He's the short king of the family. <laughs> <laughs> 
he travels with a shovel so that he can dig through snowdrifts if he needs to because he's so little. <laughs> he has a tendency to steal pans so he can okay. savor the crusts that are left within them. And children are expected to leave a chair by the window that holds their shoe so that he can climb up to leave a gift. Okay, it's now a tie between Stubby and Gully Gawk. I love it. I love them. <laughs> but here's the thing. You know that Iceland is so much safer than America because all I could think with the chair by the window is that's a murder chair. Someone is going to use that chair to get into your window and kill you. Oh, I was thinking inside the house. No, I think it's outside the house so he can get up into the window. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, inside the house makes more sense. But truly, I was like, I guess we have to leave our expensive dining room chair out <laughs> in the snow. <laughs> okay. So for the next two, I've seen some debate about which order they come in. There's Spoon Licker and Pot Scraper who steal the aforementioned kitchen items based okay. on their preference mm-hmm. so that they can nibble on the remnants of meals. Spoon Licker in particular was a former thumb sucker, and he would like it very much if you would leave cake batter or chocolate sauce on the spoon. Oh my god. Okay. Then there's also Bowl Licker, Door Slammer, Skier Gobbler, which is like yogurt gobbler. Um, yeah, it's Icelandic yogurt. Yeah, it's very good. And then there's Sausage Swiper. Um, and I'm sure you can imagine what they all like to do when it comes to their mischief making. This is so much more charming and adorable and wonderful and entertaining than I ever thought it would be. Like, I get the blend. It's like, it's the kind of mischief I enjoy. Like, it's the kind of mischief you can have so much fun with little kids with. Oh, you just wait. So then we have Window Peeper. And he's the creepiest for sure. Okay. Um, In some tellings, he's looking for stuff to steal, but in others, he's just enjoying the pretty holiday lights, which is so clearly the kid-friendly version. (laughs) I I, I peeked and saw the next two, and I gotta say, don't know if Window Peeper (laughs) takes the cake to creepiest, because please read these next two. I didn't want you to get too excited and too safe too quickly. Um, Then we have, I'm not sure about the order of these ones either, but we have Door Sniffer and Meat Hook. Um, One has a very large nose that he uses to hunt for food or to smell out children who were naughty and didn't clean up their smelly laundry. And then Meat Hook is the smallest of the lads. So his mom only fed him meat so he would grow big and strong. So now he uses a very long, spooky hook to steal. Well, he's usually depicted stealing a ham. <laughs> oh, my God. What are we? Is that? What lesson is that teaching? <laughs> like, what? I don't think there has to be a lesson with every single thing. And that's kind of the best part, right? Okay. Next, we have Candle Stealer. And he remembers a time that candles were made of animal tallow and were thus just delightful sneaky snacks right, for right. someone who had come down a whole mountain. So he'll nibble on your candles to this day to check to see if they might just be scrumptious. And again, no children are invited to this podcast episode. You know, you know that the parents who are going 
all out on this 13 Yule Lads thing are having to chomp a candle to prove (laughs) that the candle stealer was here. Oh, yeah. Or they just use a spoon and, like, scrape out the shape of No, a bite. you need teeth marks. Commit. If you're going to make a whole-ass human being, you got to commit to nibbling on candles when Christmas time rolls around. Fair. Uh, let's be real. I would do it. I know you would because I know your mother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my mother always went went so extra for Christmas. She always would leave a note from Santa for us to find in the morning, but she would do different handwriting. Mm-hmm. than her own and like oh yeah they were delightful i think i mentioned this last year but just because it's so good um my parents would have me leave carrots out for the reindeer outside right. the front door and they'd get nibbled on of course. of course um and i would leave milk for santa but when i got just like a little older I left rum and cokes for Santa because my parents told me that's what he wanted. And truly, it was. Well, <laughs> I have thought about that on and off fairly consistently since you told me last year. <laughs> it's higher level parenting convincing <laughs> your children to leave a cocktail out for Santa Claus. <laughs> he's got, listen, he's got so much dairy to digest. He needs a little break. I honestly think that was the story. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the lore is like, we're going to be the best house because this is what Santa really wants. And like, how dare my little child brain not be like, huh, all the men in my entire family <laughs> drink rum and coke. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I remember having like a brain blast moment. I mean, not a brain blast moment, but when I was... Uh, freshman in college, we had my little cousins in town. And at that point, you know, I'm the youngest. It had been a while since we'd done, had kids around for Christmas and had to do the whole Santa thing. One, we had a friend of ours come over and dress as Santa, uh, which was hilarious. Oh, I remember that story. <laughs> he's a very tall and skinny man. Um, but then when we were putting all the presents out at night, it was so funny to me to watch my cousin, who you know was the mom of, of all the kids, like presents in one hand, like milk in the other that she's chugging half the glass so that it's like <laughs> been drunk and then like nibbling on a cookie. And like it was just like, oh, yeah, it makes it makes sense because you come down in the morning and like half the milk's been drunk. And she just threw it back. It was really funny. I'm pretty sure my parents were like, well, this glass of milk is wasted every year we're not drinking that because they just didn't personally buy into the weird propaganda campaign that was the advertising for just milk yeah everywhere (laughs) fair (laughs) my parents always tell the story of one time my grandparents were participating and i had a barbie that Santa was leaving mm-hmm. for, I, I don't know if it was a literal Barbie, but a doll. Yeah. And, you know, they're always packaged by Satan himself. Yes. With, like, twist ties, and they're freaking stitched into the box. Mm-hmm. And my grandpa, that was his one job while everyone else did. <laughs> and I think by the end of it, he was just like, she's never getting another doll again. Like, I quit. <laughs> I'm done. My, my parents were like, we're not taking that out of the packaging. Santa has packaging. (laughs) I found out that uh, I, as a child, none of my dolls had shoes, not because they didn't come with shoes, but because my parents preemptively 
threw out their shoes because I would always lose one and have a meltdown about it. So they were like, she can't have a meltdown if there are none. Again, next level parenting. I love that. Anyway. Anyway, uh, Christmas cat. No, actually. No, I haven't gotten to, I want. I want the Christmas cat so badly, Rowan. I saved it for the end. Okay. First, we have Grilla, who is a true Christmas icon. So just, you're going to be so happy okay, about this. Okay, all right, this. all right. I'm, I'm back in. I'm back in. Okay. With roots going back to at least the early 13th century, where she is mentioned as a giantess in the prose of Edda, Grilla is always described as repulsive. Okay, I'm super back on board. I love her. Go on. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I know what you like. I love a hag. I love a proud hag. She's almost always pretty giant, but here are some options for her appearance. She could have a beard, as many as 13 long ears that hang and specifically hit her nose when she moves around. She could have blackened teeth, cloven hooves. There's the possibility of 15 individual tails, each of which may or may not hold 100 bags, which may or may not have been filled each with 15 to 20 children. Okay, so that's 15 tails, 100 bags each. So that's already 1,500 bags times 15 kids per bag. Uh-huh, yep. That's basically the population of Iceland. Yeah, she's no slacker. I mean, the other option is that she just has one bag that's strapped to her thigh. Um, okay, okay. And you thought the bags was exciting. She could have a mere 300 heads, each with three eyes. You said mere? So a mere 300 heads. What is coming next? No, that that's the biggest one, because the other option is just that she's like the classic stooped, hunched, big nose, mottled skin, work-covered, stereotypical witch type. Okay, I'm on board with any and all of these combinations. And, you know, the cloven hoof black teeth thing so clearly linked to Krampus. These yes. figures share so many similarities. Sometimes she's referred to specifically as a bugbear or simply a witch rather than a troll. Um, and Netflix, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, turned her into a powerful witch who protects children. That's cute. But our OG gal is still usually scary. Uh, She actually wasn't associated with Christmas specifically until the 17th century when she was linked to being the mother of the 13 Yule lads. Okay. One Skrila was a beggar who would just come out at any old time of the year, usually winter, asking parents for their disobedient children to turn into a snack or boil into her favorite stew. And parents could thwart her by giving her food or chasing her off to her small cottage on the edge of the village. Then eventually her home moved even farther out to a cave in the mountains. And I don't have a 100% definitive fact to back this up, but from my reading, it almost seemed as if her moving further away from the villages corresponded with the presence of Christianity mm. and mm-hmm. kind of Denmark coming into play. I just kept thinking that she and uh, Baba Yaga would probably be friends. Oh my god, they would either hate each other like two cats in a bag, or they would 
they'd do finger guns at each other, be like, I see what you're doing. <laughs> I want the finger guns. I want the finger guns, please. <laughs> so some stories about Icelandic trolls describe them only as being able to go out at night, lest the sun turn them into stone. Um, again, you can kind of see the diffusion of those tales in Frozen when the mm-hmm. trolls are made of stone. Right. So this means that certain tellings restrict Grilla's huntings to the moonlit hours, meaning she had more time to do it in the fall or winter as Iceland has little darkness during the warmer months. But she's no slouch. She would take down the names of bad children to hunt them from one year to the next. She's got a good work ethic. Rise and grind set, you know. <laughs> Rise and grind up those children bones. <laughs> Literally rise and grind. That's her mindset. Grilla has a husband named Lepaluthi, and he is an equally ugly but much lazier child-eating troll. Ain't that just the way, you know? (laughs) Wait for it. He's the third of her husbands. Get it, girl. Iceland Magazine writes, quote, Grilla is a domineering woman. She is often shown beating and berating her husband. According to the legend, Lepaluthi is the third of Grilla's husbands. She killed and ate her first husband, Gustar, her second husband, Boli, whom she also murdered after the two had a large number of troll children, though nothing is known about those children from her former marriage. It's only the 13 Yule lads. Okay, okay. There are stories about this troll couple, Grilla and Lepaluthi, dying of hunger because there are no more bad children. But one of my favorite stories, and this changes, sometimes it's linked with her current husband, sometimes it's the explanation of her former husbands, Mm -hmm. but the deal is this. One day, Grilla realizes her husband is lazy and boring, so she eats him. I mean, get it, girl. Don't don't settle, you know? Right. And she's just she the witch lore that we talk about all the time, the domineering woman, like all mm-hmm. those stereotypes that are put on her. I get it. She's an evil troll that is specifically used to teach children to behave. But also like justice for Grilla. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with all of that. All right, now we're going to talk about the Yule Cat. Yes. The Yule Cat, the Yolagurten, the roots of its names are the Icelandic words for Christmas and cat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the cat eats anyone who has not received new clothes by Christmas Day. Oh. Iceland has no wild cat species, so where the heck does this beastie come from? The Yule Cat is larger than a house and has shocking, glowing yellow eyes. Above all things, it, usually he, actually, has a particular taste for children. He peers into windows, checking to see who received gifts of new clothes. And if he catches sight of someone with ripped or torn clothing, it is open season People are snacks. That's so interesting. Do you have a theory? It's just gonna be a- for why this is the way it is because I I have explanations for you. 
Okay. Okay. Well, I'm I'm curious because a lot of these tales are told to children as ways to make them behave or explain things. But, and I see why getting new clothes is an important thing. For, okay. No, I've talked myself into it. It's to get kids excited about getting clothes. Kids don't want socks. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I like that. That's, that's my stance now. I like it. That's That was what I was thinking the whole time. And I also don't think you're fully wrong. Okay. Because getting kids excited about socks is a worthy endeavor. <laughs> I also am somewhat tickled. And this is a parent could use or not use. But there is this general idea of like, I have to give you clothing for you to survive this holiday. Yeah, like like that's a, that is the thing that I was stuck on. But then it's oh, make me want to give you a sock, you little twerp. Yeah, like, <laughs> Dobby needs a sock to get through Christmas. Mm-hmm. First published in 1932, the book Christmas is Coming includes the most popular telling of our feline friend, and interesting for us, Trace. This text wasn't translated to English until 2015. Wow. So here's a translation of the famous poem that apparently many Icelandic citizens know by heart. Mm. Um, and this is as I heard it on PBS's Monstrum episode on the Yule Cat. And it is a wonderful episode, by the way. Um, we love PBS. We do. Quote, he opened his glaring eyes wide, the two of them glowing bright. It took a really brave man to look straight into them. His whiskers sharp as bristles, his back arched up high, and the claws of his hairy paws were a terrible sight. He gave a wave of his strong tail, he jumped and he clawed and he hissed, sometimes up the valley sometimes down by the shore. He roamed at large, hungry and evil, in the freezing Yule snow. In every home, people shuddered at his name. If one heard a pitiful meow, something evil would happen soon. Everyone knew he hunted men, but didn't care for mice. Oh, that's so good. If you ever want to hear that poem again, Bjork has a recording of it. Okay. That is so Bjork. Yes, it's... it is. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Arnie Bjornsson is considered the foremost authority on Yule tradition, as PBS reports in their Yule Cat episode. And he says of the Yule Cat, quote, we do not know if this creature was widely known in the country before the first edition of Iceland's folktales were published in the 19th century. Mm. If the giant murder cat is reminding you of the giant cats that pull Freya's chariot across the sky. Mm -hmm. That's what I was wondering if the connection came from. That resemblance is lost on no scholar okay. <laughs> and is often posed as a possible or partial origin for the Yule Cat. Mm -hmm. If you want to imagine our cat friend, picture the same one that you would picture for Freya's steeds. Usually, this is the Norwegian forest cat, an actual breed that you can own in your own home. They have long hair and a fluffy tail. These cute little animals 
are larger than the average house cat, with adult females weighing in at 8 to 18 pounds on average. Wow. That's a big cat. It's a big, it's a big chunky floof. And they look, they look like little lions. I've seen pictures of them. They're so majestic. They are both majestic and derpy. As all good animals are. Exactly. Dr. Bjornsson suggests that another origin of the Yule cat may have been the Norwegian Yule goat. Okay. The goat is the mount of St. Nick, helping him deliver presents or accompanying him on the way. And the goat symbolizes, in many cases, St. Nick's power over the devil. And he's cute as heck. Love it. So many Krampus vibes are happening here. And people are more familiar with Krampus now than these figures, so it's really easy to use him as a point of reference. But it's similar themes. St. Nick versus the devil. We're taking figures that are older than Christianity, adapting them to Christianity, Mm -hmm. and watching them kind of weave and interweave throughout the countries and areas in the cold north. There is another Icelandic cat that may have contributed to this Christmas critter. Mm -hmm. This is the ghoul cat or the wasteland cat. Okay. Also larger than a normal house cat, at a young age, these felines bury themselves underground in cemeteries, and within the dirt, they grow to be the size of a dog. Okay. Then they claw their way back out to prey on sheep, dogs, other important animals. And one look from these cats can kill a human instantly. I want to be reincarnated as one of these. I don't think I can overstate how fascinating it is that these cats basically plant themselves in Mm -hmm. grave dirt to be fertilized and grow. They're plant cats. They're spooky plant cats. So cool. I love them. It's such a cool story. So PBS's Monstrum really went into detail about why the story of the Yule Cat has been so vital in Iceland's history. And I could would never have understood this without the context. So Iceland's wool export began in the Middle Ages and was a major part of Iceland's economy, making the production of the material the responsibility of all members of a family. Okay. So after food was set aside during the autumn months, spinning and weaving and carding and all the steps of wool production became critical. Wool was so important to the Icelandic economy and valuable to its citizens that workers could actually be paid in wool. Okay. Wow. Now, giving Christmas gifts was costly and usually only manifested in the form of a small gift of clothing that was also necessary for Mm -hmm. the cold winter months. But to be able to give such a gift meant that everyone in the family had to work very hard during the period of wool production, including the children. So the threat of the Yule cat eating anyone who wasn't given an article of clothing was a perfect way to illustrate the need to finish the important work in time for the coldest portion of the year. Makes sense. I was also shocked to learn 
that Iceland had achieved near 100% literacy for its citizens in the 19th century, even in the lower classes that didn't have access to a unified school structure. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, providing adequate education to citizens is something that the U.S. really struggles with currently. Yes, so it does. Hearing that was really exciting. So while families worked on the various parts of wool production during the cold winter nights, they would sit by the fire and the youngest children were taught to read and write using books and stories like the Yule Cat and Grilla and the Yule Lads. See, mythology coming in handy once again. I love it. It's so cool. And there is that surface level, like, convince kids to want socks, but understanding the economy and how mm -hmm. it played into it and how children's work was so important just adds a, an extra layer that is so fascinating. Yes. You know what else Monstrum told me? What? Cats are more popular than dogs in Iceland. Dogs were actually banned from the country in 1924. Are they for a still time. banned? Or you they... have to have a special permit to have a dog in Iceland. Why? I don't know if permit's the right word. You have to fill out a special form and go through a process. Wild. Listen, I don't know. So I'm not here to start a cats versus dogs battle because we all know the answer is both, both, both is good. It's both. I have both and they're wonderful. However, cat people are usually pretty good people. See also witches. And in 2021, Iceland was ranked the fourth happiest country in the world with incredibly high scores in, quote, feeling of social support and generosity. And you know what America's rank was? 19th. You know what the Washington Post says, quote, here in the U.S., slightly more households own dogs than own cats. So this Christmas, ask yourself, do you want to be happy? Do you want to truly make the Yuletide gay? If the answer is yes, have you considered adopting a giant fashion-judging human-eating Christmas cat? And remember, this holiday season, adopt, don't shop. For your mythical man-eating figure for your mythical man-eating figure i know that i am linking two statistics that have nothing to do yeah, with yeah, one yeah, another yeah. yeah don't get in the way of my uh, my christmas capers when ice cream sales increase so do house robberies that whole fun conundrum listen this is our podcast we could do what we want and i want to convince people to adopt mythical carnivorous house-sized kittens. <laughs> Tracy, I felt you really wanting to interject on my ridiculous statistics while I was going through that, but absolutely not. No. No, I was good at it. I just, I just calling out the correlation causation. Shh. We have to get these Yule cats adopted. <laughs> they need homes. It's true. They, they need to be adopted. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Inspired by you and your story from last year, I have written us a holiday poem for my my story this week. I love it. Is this the first poem you've written on our podcast? Yeah, it is, I think. Ooh, I'm so excited. Okay. Happy holidays, my friends. We've come so very far. Where once you stayed home, 
you're now listening in your car. You survived a pandemic and the economy's crash. Now depression's on vogue. So you've got quite the panache. For this year's celebrations, let's kick St. Nick to the curb. He's too sweet and too kind. And we're a wee bit disturbed. Our children were good with their Zoom classes and tests. But 24-7 at home, and we've found that they're pests. The adults are too. Frankly, I am as well. We're all a bit awful, so this Christmas I tell you the story of a giant Yule cat. Of Grilla the Troll, who's known for her vat, where she stews up naughty children. Ooh, she boils them down good. Then she feeds them to hubby, just like every witch should. And she has a gaggle of 13 Yule lads that sneak out in the night and find folks who were bad. They steal them away up the mountain once more. Now you're the feast for the holiday. Like no Christmas before. See, you shouldn't have sent that mansplaining tweet. Or skipped out on voting. Or driven from the back seat. Don't you know? Life is hard. The holidays are too. You skipped laundry all year. And those old sweats just won't do. Oh, I should have told you about our man-eating cat. He'll peer through your windows saying, you shouldn't wear that. So, if you're tattered and frayed, and that depression's kicking your ass, well, now you're cat food. No more remote work or class. I get it, I know. They advertise holiday fun. But Merry and Bright just doesn't scream 2021. We're closing our year celebrating scarier myths. So if you've learned nothing else, let me leave you with this. If you're sat by the fire on a cold winter's night with your anti-vax uncle and things just don't feel right, know that there's always a carnivorous cat or some cannibal trolls who will take care of that. There's no right or wrong Christmas, but consider Grilla the witch, because you define your holidays, and this year was a bitch. I'm grinning so hard. It actually hurts. <laughs> Favorite story you've written all year, probably for the whole <laughs> podcast. Uh, that... <laughs> A cheeky poem? Oh, that is adult Shell Silverstein vibes. Oh my god. Oh, I'm gonna just I'm gonna print out that and hang it on my wall. <laughs> oh, that was so good. That was so good. I loved that so much. I just personally especially in this Extendo 2021 universe, I can't get down with pretending like the holidays aren't a little depressing, melancholy. Like, are we fully mentally well? No. No. No, we're not. Does a man-eating cat and a troll witch with 13 candle-eating children sit right with me? Yes, it does! <laughs> <laughs> it was such a good poem. 
Thank you. Oh, I loved it. You you nailed it. We did snow stories and we did them dark. <laughs> <laughs> We had another idea of what snow stories were going to be, and you and I just both went for the fun. We went for the energy that we had is really where we went. We did it. That's that's 2021. This is episode 69. It's the last one. I did. <laughs> I did title this one episode 69. Nice. Yeah, snow I stories. read it exactly <laughs> with your tone. Episode 69. Nice. Nice. <laughs> okay. I went first last week. It is your turn to tell me something good. So I am so happy. You uh, Listeners know that, that I just moved into a new townhouse and my parents very kindly for Christmas got, um, got me a patio set. So it's four really comfy chairs Mm -hmm. and a fire pit like one of those gas fire tables my parents they were just so above and beyond they found this absolutely buck wild black friday moment and just they know their daughter and i it was such an incredibly kind present because sitting by the fire is something that my parents and I do, did all the time growing up. And it is just one of the most relaxing things. And to now have it as part of my home, being able to just sit with a drink by the fire at any moment. That's all you wanted. I I don't think I was ready for how much that would make my shoulders drop with, Mm -hmm. with joy. And I... It was an incredibly kind present, and I just have – if I can make something now happen by the fire pit, it will. Like, Yes. Thank God my Wi-Fi extends that far. Oh, because you'll, you don't have to be anywhere else in your house ever. That's it. No, and I work on my computer. I mm-hmm. can just sit and do the same work now with a fire. Mm-hmm. Guys, there – are so few problems that fire can't solve. I would say almost none, if not zero. (laughs) You heard it here first, folks. (laughs) Do you need to relax? Fire. Do you need some food? Fire. Is someone pissing you off? Fire. (laughs) We're we're pro-fire on this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, baby. All right. (laughs) Tracy, tell me something good. Okay, so... My something good is that um, two days ago, so on Friday night, we're recording this on Sunday, I got to go to a place somewhat near where I live called Longwood Gardens. I've talked about it on the show before. It's a botanical garden. And they do this beautiful Christmas show where they wrap all the trees and lights and there's decorations and music and the the conservatory. They take the inside and make this whole big decoration. It's just completely decked out. And it was great to go and I go every year. But this was the first year I got to bring my nephews. (sighs) Thank you for posting videos of that, by the way. I haven't gone in so long and getting to see the videos when you're having that experience with your family just was so magical. 
It was so cute. The older one, we ran around and um, we were trying to, like, he's really into Pokemon right now. So we're like, okay, what color tree do you think Charmander would like? Let's go find a red tree. We're, That's okay, so cute. We're, we were in an area that had these um, red lights next to big kind of almost monstera looking leaves. And he was like, okay, well, this is where Bulbasaur and Charmander hang out. This is their place. And <laughs> and the younger one just wanted to see everything. I was commenting on everything. He was like, that tree has all these pretty decorations on it. But this one has all these lights. And look at those lights. They're, they look like they're falling. And those ones look like water. And it just – it was so cool to see them. And then we got them hot chocolate, which they were just so giddy about. The little two-and-a-half-year-old was just – Every time he took a sip, we'd go like, hmm. No. <laughs> yeah. What is it about tiny kids holding cups with both hands? Oh, both hands. And he just would take a sip and he'd just go like, mm, and just be so happy. It was, oh, it was so cute. It was so wonderful. So that was my something good. Just, it was so lovely to get to see them finally both be old enough to experience things and communicate those thoughts. Oh, it was great. I think we all would do well to channel that energy. Every sip you take of a wonderful beverage, just give a little mmm. Every time you see lights or something exciting that is still a bit like basic, make it, describe it. Tell us where Charmander would hang out, guys. Mm -hmm. This is the true beauty of the season. Like that, just being excited about simple things with your family, that's it. Yep. The other thing I want to add, because I mentioned hot chocolate, is I finally got all the ingredients and I tried the hot chocolate recipe. <gasps> How was it? Rowan, it's so good. It's so good. I have it. I also have the best oat milk ever. So when you come, I will make in a dairy-free version of it for you. Girl, and I know you. You always go hard on the homemade whipped cream. So I feel like it looked like a photograph. I should have taken a picture of it, but I was so excited to try it. I took a sip and then all the, the everything mixed together and it wasn't as pretty. But it was so good. I am the worst at taking food photos because there is not but one second between it being finished and it going on my fork. I know. I know. So both thank you and I hate you to Lex because it is an <laughs> actual effort not to make it every night now. Right. You can never unknow. Yeah, because I have all the ingredients right there. And it's like tangy but chocolatey. Oh my god, it's so good. Yeah, I, uh, you're going to curse me, and I love it. Oh, I cannot wait to make it for you. And I will take a picture of it that time. I promise everyone we will post a picture of it. I make no promises. The second she finishes it, I'm just going to, like, whipped cream mustache goof <laughs> like a kid. We, speaking of Lex and all of our wonderful listeners, our something good for the entire season has to be our patrons and our community members who have devoted so much time and energy and spent money supporting the podcast. We so appreciate it. We think about you every single week mm -hmm. and we would like to just take a moment to thank everyone who is currently and has supported the podcast over the course of these last two years. Thank you to Jeremiah Y, Mark O, Emily J, Kenneth L, Michael T, Mark H, Roger R, Maria R, Jamie H, Justin K, Ducati, Akota Roku, Leah F, Janira, Reverse Aquamath, Cody C, 
Emily R. Brad D. Bob. Lucy G. Stacy A. Nerhia C. Carly. Carrie F. Katrin C. Coleman. Jessica F. Barb P. Savannah U. Matt B. Jennifer S. Nimra A. Katrina M. Shane R. Amanda Y. Stephen B. Wolf. Evan M. Meg R. Carly R. Joe P. Sasha H. Lexi M. Daphne O. Helena R. Sebastian M. Jonathan V. And Rachel. Thank you all so much. You are part of what makes this podcast so amazing and why we get to do what we do every week. And an additional huge thank you to Leah from Greenleaf Geek. Greenleaf Geek consistently sponsored this podcast because Leah just kept saying yes to us. Yes. She is such a generous human being with her energy in a way that is unparalleled. She is enthusiastic about the people and projects that she enjoys in a way that I certainly have learned from. I Yes. This she's amazing. The the standard to which she holds herself and her art too is incredible. The way she interacts with people and engages with them is so lovely. I we would not choose a sponsor we don't stand behind and I think we've made it extremely clear over the months that we we stand by everything Leah does, everything she makes, all of her products and just her as a person. And everyone who has sponsored the podcast has become such a very important part of the team that brings you these stories and this research every week. And so an extra huge shout out to Leah for being a very large part of making that possible. To close out the season, Tracy, mm-hmm. you brought me an amazing five-star review last week. So I present to you a five-star review. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. And this is from December, so I thought it'd be kind of fun. Okay. I'm going to read it because you read yours last week. (laughs) So this is from Kitten Roy. The title is Exceptional Storytelling. These proud hags go above and beyond to immerse you in the stories they tell. My children and I love to listen to them everywhere we go to the point now that my oldest tells me quite frequently, we get it, you're goth. (laughs) I recommend them all to my companions that we play D&D with also. The Wizard and the Rogue are my son's favorite to listen to, and he gets downright giddy when I tell him there's a new episode. <laughs> That's so nice. Hearing that things are being shared with someone's family is like the peak compliment. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. I love the idea of your oldest telling you we get it, you're goth. That's incredible. The fact that your son's favorites are the Wizard and the Rogue, that, I think, melts my Snegorochka heart and I'm going to turn into mist. I think that that hit me so much because when we were young, I know I was told a lot that boys wouldn't and shouldn't be involved in stories where girls are leads because they won't like them because they can't care about lead female characters lead girls Mm -hmm. and to hear that we have our story where it's just two badass gals 
the fact that it's a favorite of a a young son is just so super cool. It means that things have come such a long way, even in the time that we've been alive. Yeah. And I, it just, it hits, it hits. <laughs> it hits different is what it does. <laughs> so we did it, Rowan. We did a whole second season. I have a question for you okay. before we close it out. And right. this doesn't have to be like your definitive one and only answer. But what is one story that you've covered in the entire life of the podcast that comes to mind that like surprised you in some way? How much you would like it or the details just... Ooh. Um, Coco Pelli, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Inanna, I think both I was shocked by like the giddiness I felt with them. Like I knew with the Mütter Museum, I would get really excited. Like there's something I knew I would get excited about. But I, I think those are the two that I came out of it like very giddy having gotten the chance and the opportunity to research. Mm, mm-hmm. What about you? So this season having the opportunity to cover Medusa was really big for me because I love her so much. Um, and I was really anxious about it. Mm -hmm. And you were just so supportive that it ended up being like a wonderful, wonderful experience. It was so good to have it, to do it and then have it done. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing that actually surprised me this season is almost cheating, but having done this now for 69 episodes, we have this kind of language these references of things that we've covered and things that we've talked about that we can keep referencing either in our own discussions or on the podcast that really deepens my understanding of stories. Being able to now connect the dots in ways that I wasn't able to before and I hope that I keep getting better at. You know, Sometimes I think I'm no thought head empty and then sometimes I get that red string going from one picture to another and mm -hmm. every once in a while, you know, two of my brain cells will slap together and I'll have a whole a whole thought. A whole thought. Yeah, it's a lot to process, but it does happen. It does. <laughs> it it's exciting. And I we are we're so excited that we already have a good portion of the next season uh kind of set down. Mhm. Mm but we don't have the full season set, so if there are stories that you're really excited about or ones that mm -hmm. you want to hear, you can always reach out to us uh, at willingandfable.com or at our Instagram. We are at willingandfable everywhere on the internet, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Pinterest, wherever you want to find us. Reach out to us. We will respond. Yes, we will respond, and we love to hear from you. Like your desperate podcaster best friend who's sitting by the phone. <laughs> And with that mental image, thank you all so much for joining us for season two of Willing and Fable. And remember that stories grow with the telling. So if you like what we do, tell a friend. Mm, or tell a foe. And we'll see you soon, okay? Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our music was written and performed by Taylor Ash, and our logo is by Jamie Harrison. 
If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes and custom merch. Or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. Each week... Lola. Last episode. You have one day. Yeah, one more. One more for the mic. Thank you. (laughs) You just had her podcast so she could feel like she did the thing. (laughs) See if it worked.